I hope I never lose the wonder of the fact that the Creator God condescended to become one of His creation, walked among us, lived a perfect life to deliver us from darkness into light. What a wonderful thought and privilege that is. That the Creator God reached down to us. God created the hands that nailed Him to the cross. Galatians chapter 4 is where we find ourselves today. And we will be in verses 4 to 7. And I really am encouraged by this passage of Scripture um, because Paul speaks of hopelessness and then he gives the hope. Isn't it interesting that the Bible tells us the full story of redemption? Not only does God point out to us the problem that we have, but he points out to us the solution to the problem. And in fact, he is that very solution. So the title of my message today is God's greatest gift. And of course, God's greatest gift is our Lord Jesus Christ. So in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, and I'll just read the whole passage since it is short today. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We learn in the Old Testament that Abraham was a friend of God. And Jesus said to his disciples, you are my friends. So we are friends of God and we are also heirs of God. We are sons and daughters of God. What a wonderful privilege um, to call ourselves by those names that he calls us by name. Let's open in a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And we thank you also that it began in a manger 2,000 years ago. Lord, we know that he came to die. We know that you prophesied through Simeon that Mary's heart would be pierced through with sorrow. And we picture... Mary standing on Golgotha's hill and hearing those words from Jesus, Woman, behold thy son, indicating John, and to John, behold thy mother. And I can only wonder and speculate at how torn up she was. But the reality was that the only way for Jesus to redeem us was to allow her 
to be stricken with the greatest grief known to mankind. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first point that I want to make today is found in Galatians 4, verse 4. And it says, Jesus came in God's time. I don't know about you, but I have many times when I'm not very patient. Um, I remember as a kid, the month of December was the slowest month on the calendar. Because on one hand, December 1st, I knew there was only... 24 days till Christmas, but I also knew that those were going to be the longest 24 days of my young life. Um, And as the days ramped up toward that, then it would be even slower. Um, And and then, but then Christmas would come. You'd get up Christmas morning and you'd blink and it would be eight o'clock at night on Christmas day and Christmas would be over for another year. So when you're anticipating, it takes a long time. But then when you get there, it's over before you know it. I can relate to this with my show. We've been working on A Christmas Carol since early September. And now we are almost done with our run of four weekends and 16 shows. It hardly feels possible. Because you put all that work into it, you spend all that time with wonderful people putting together this great show, and before you know it, it's gone. So I'm trying to relish every moment. But the point is that when we're waiting, time seems to stand still. But when our wishes are fulfilled, things go quickly. And it's interesting here that it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Now, I don't know exactly how the prophets foresaw this, but if they were anything like me, they were like, why haven't you sent your Messiah yet? For thousands of years, God said, I'm going to send my Messiah, and yet he had not yet arrived. But God's saying here, when my timetable was right, I sent Jesus. And I'm very grateful to be a New Testament saint. I'm very grateful to have the end of my Bible written. I can only imagine what it would have been like as an Old Testament saint looking forward and constantly hoping and wishing and saying, God, will this be the year? Will this be the time? I picture Andrew running along the the shores of the Sea of Galilee, his feet pounding in the dust, and him exalting to Peter, we have found the Messiah! Come and follow me. And then, of course, Andrew brings Peter to the Messiah, and, and Peter's probably dumbfounded. He's probably doubting a little bit. But Jesus says, Thou art Cephas, a rock. He calls the man out of Peter. And when Peter is lending Jesus his ship and Jesus speaks, after Jesus speaks, Peter can only say in tears, 
Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And what does Jesus say? He says, fear not, Peter. You have caught fish all your life, but today you will catch men. God takes us where we are and he brings us to new heights. He takes dead people and he makes them alive. But everything he does is on his timetable the way he wants it to be. And he says, let all things be done decently and in order and surely the coming of his son to earth is one of those things. Let's look at some cross-references that talk about this important uh, topic. We have a lot of cross-references to get through today, so please uh, make sure that you have your Bible ready and your page-turning finger, I hope, is limber. Um, the first one is Isaiah seven fourteen. Isaiah seven fourteen. if someone gets there and could read it for us, I would appreciate it. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There's a, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 1 that says, Joseph knew not Mary until she was delivered of Jesus. Why is that important? Because Mary was a virgin. Sin is passed on from the seed of man. We're told as an Adam all die. So the only way for Jesus to be perfect is if his father was God. But he was also born of a woman showing us that he was humanity. So he was 100% humanity, 100% deity, Something our minds cannot fully comprehend here on earth, but nevertheless true. Let's look at Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, I believe, God tells David that there will be a descendant of his on the throne forever. The only way this happens is if the eternal son of David, Jesus Christ, comes to reign on the throne. And surely he, he will do so at some future time as yet determined by God but not known by us. We could do a whole sermon just on those verses that we read there. But basically think about this. Everything good that you can think of, God is. 
That's why Hebrews says, Him who cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Because everything good, God is. Let's look at John chapter 3, 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the first couple verses said that God's gift, God's Son, is coming. And told us how that was going to happen. This verse tells us why. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth on him shall not perish. But shall have everlasting life. That's why he came. And he didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. If you don't believe in the only Son of God, you are condemned already. It's not an issue of choosing to be condemned or not condemned. You are condemned already. And God reaches down and He pulls you out of the mire and He says, you are no longer condemned. Go and sin no more. That's the power of our God. Romans 5, 6-8. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. Now while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here we see, while we were yet without strength, once again, at the right time, God does things in the right time. He's never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. If we think he's late, it's because our finite minds cannot understand his ways. But his promises are yes and amen. And we can trust that. For Christ has come. If Christ had not been born, hearts burdened and forlorn, must seek in vain peace to attain if Christ had not been born. If to the Bethlehem home the Christ child had not come, hearts now agleam with love would seem, but drear had Christ not come. But now both hope and cheer God gives for every year to seeking hearts his grace imparts, his love for Christ has come. And that is Fred Scott Shepherd. Remember what Paul said, if Christ be not risen, we are of all men most miserable, but now is Christ risen. Paul talks about the situation of man without God, and then he says, God intervened. He says, but God. And after the but God, the miraculous happens. Second point. First point. Jesus came in God's time, Galatians 4 4. Second point, Jesus came to redeem us. Galatians 4 5. Galatians 4 5 says, To redeem them that were under the law, 
that we, we might receive the adoption of sons. It was not enough for him to forgive our sins once. But he also chose to adopt us as his sons and give us a position in him for all eternity. Paul says you are hid with Christ in God. So let's consider this redemption by reading 1 Peter 1, 18-20. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus was constantly telling the Pharisees, don't be bogged down by the traditions of men. And Peter is telling, telling us here that tradition is not what saves you. The blood of Jesus Christ, the most precious commodity ever, is what does the saving. And when we realize that we are bought with the precious blood of Christ, that should change the way we look at life. It should bring us from a depressed state to a joyful state. Colossians 1, 13-20. Colossians 1, 13-20. I realize this is a, a larger passage of Scripture, but I just could not cut it any shorter. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the, of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image the invisible, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, and they are in heaven, they are on earth visible and, inv and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, have made peace to the blood of this cross. I hope I never lose the wonder of the fact that the Creator God condescended to become one of his creation, walked among us, lived a perfect life, to deliver us from darkness into light. What a wonderful thought and privilege that is. That the Creator God reached down to us. God created the hands that nailed Him to the cross. God created the hands that whipped Him before He went to the cross. God created the hands that rolled the stone 
in front of the tomb. And yet he rose victorious over the grave and he walked through that tombstone free and alive. The tombstone was not rolled away so that he could get out, but rather so that we could see in, so that the disciples could come to the tomb so that the women could come to the tomb and the angels could say to them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. My friends, the resurrection is the hope of Christmas. If Jesus just came as a baby to live among us and he never died for us and never rose again, there would be no hope. But because he rose... Christmas is a time of great hope for us. God is not dead. He's alive. Revelation 5, 6 to 9. He is worthy because he redeemed us by his blood. And it says in that passage that there will be people there from every tribe and tongue and nation. What a wonderful thought to know that there will be people from all over the world before the throne. That old hymn says, when before the bar, every tribe and tongue assembled are. What a wonderful thought. Out on the bare Judean hills, far from the scenes of mirth, the shepherds heard a midnight song that echoed around the earth. And straightway challenged by the sound, they left their lowly place and took the road to Bethlehem to see the young child's face. They came, they saw, they understood, and knew a strange release. As stooping down, they knelt before the little Prince of Peace. And now the midnight of the world has settled dark and still, and frightened hearts are crouching low like shepherds on a hill. What mean the ancient carols now, their glad and sweet refrain, is lost among the scream of shells as men forgot again. And yet in countless waiting hearts, the light of faith still burns. Lord, send again a midnight song to say the Prince returns. That's from Helen Fraze Bauer. And what a hope that is. So our third point, our second point being Jesus came to redeem us. Our third point is Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit. 
Galatians 4, 6 says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It was really neat to watch the passion of the Christ when it came out. And one of the things that struck me was Mel Gibson did the film totally in Aramaic. And as Jesus is kneeling in the garden, praying to his father, he says the word Abba. And I was just struck. I'm struck every time I watch that. That the same Abba that he is talking to, that he has this intense relationship with, this tender relationship with where he's crying out for relief. That same Abba is Abba to us. And he wants to hear us cry out and get relief from him. Let's look at Romans eight fifteen to 17. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Jesus knows his own. He said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And then he says, no man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father is greater than all. And then he says, I and my Father are one. Does security get any better than that? The answer is a resounding no. Hebrews four fourteen to sixteen. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, find grace to help in time. Isn't it wonderful that kind of like the old saying says, we have a savior, a high priest who has been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. He knows everything we've been through. He knows everything we're feeling. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be lonely. Imagine him being in the garden and asking his disciples, his three most precious disciples, just pray with me one hour and they fell asleep. He came back to them and said, just pray with me. And they fell asleep. And then finally he says, rest on now. 
for the purpose of God is being fulfilled. And then Judas walks into the garden and everything changes. All the vibrant colors are pulled from the disciples' world. They have no idea what's going on, even though he told them three times. Isn't that interesting? He told them at least three times. But it wasn't until they saw the empty tomb that they remembered his words. How forgetful we are, and yet God is good to us. What is the thought of Christmas giving? What is the hope of Christmas living? What is the joy of Christmas love? No no silver or gold is needed for giving if the heart is filled with Christmas love, for the hope of the world is kindly living. Learn from the joy of God above. That's Laura Hooker. And our final point today, our third point being Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. Our final point is Jesus gave us access to adoption as sons. Wherefore, verse 7 says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are told that Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. We are told in Hebrews that he is our brother while still being the king of kings. I am a joint heir with Jesus. I am a a prince. I am a king and a priest before God, not because of my own merit, but because of the merit of the Lord Jesus and his willingness to adopt me into his family. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. You are Christ, and Christ is God's. Isn't it wonderful to be able to say, I am Christ's? It doesn't matter if you say you are of Andrew or you are of James or you are of Dennis. What matters is that you say, I am of Christ. My prayer for you is that today is the day that you can say that if you've never said it before. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. I don't know about you, but it's a great comfort to me to know that the world doesn't know me because it doesn't know him. I can sometimes be frustrated by not fitting in. But as the great C.S. Lewis says, if you, do, if you find yourself not fitting in in this world, it may just be that you are created for another world. 
That's exciting. To think that I was created, that you were created for another world. R.C. Sproul says, Nobody is born into this world a child of the family of God. We are born as children of wrath. The only way we enter into the family of God is by adoption, and that adoption occurs when we are united to God's only begotten Son by faith. When by faith we are united with Christ, we are then adopted into the family of God, of whom Christ is the firstborn. Again, that firstborn among many brethren. So thank God for his gifts today. Jesus coming in God's time. Jesus coming to redeem us. Jesus giving us his Holy Spirit. And Jesus giving us access to adoption as sons. And now I would like to close today by singing a song. It's not in our hymnals. If you do know it, feel free to join in on any of the verses that you know. This is, um, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Uh, This was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Out of great personal tragedy and out of struggle in his Christian faith. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, good will to men. And thought as how the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, good will to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, good will to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, good will to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of the continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, good will to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, good will to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead nor dead.
sleep, the wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, good will to men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your peace. We thank you that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We thank you that you came to a small town called Bethlehem 2,000 years ago to give a message of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Lord, I pray that you would turn our hearts toward Christ this Christmas season and that he would be more real to us than he has ever been before. I pray peace upon everyone here, that you'd make your face shine upon them and guide and direct them as they go through this life. May they be Jesus to those around them. As Paul said, you are my epistles known and read of all men. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is risen from the dead. Amen.